0: welcome to the naked truth peace to you let's pick up where we left off we're in the book of leviticus that's the third book in the entire bible the third book in the old testament and also since it's the old testament just in case it's your first time reading with me uh you know there won't be any red letters here although jesus may reflect back on parts of the old testament of what we call the old testament there are no quotes of jesus in the old testament um, so having said all that, let's begin with Leviticus chapter 22. We're going to begin with verse 1. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so as we've seen again and again, um, as we've been reading the Old Testament, especially this book, many of the chapters start out with that very same saying, that uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses. So if you believe the whole Bible, and are trying to live from Genesis to Revelation as the truth, then you it. how do you reconcile what's said in the New Testament? And just one of the examples is uh, John chapter 1. That's in the New Testament, the fourth book in the New Testament. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So how can both be true? I believe, my sister helped me understand this, or at least think about it, that... Um, The whole Bible, she believes, is inspired by God. And I believe that's true, but in a different sense. I believe the whole Bible is inspired by who the people who wrote each book believed was God or worshipped as God or approached as God. But they all cannot possibly be pointing to the same God, the same one entity, deity, being the Lord God Almighty. So maybe that's one way that it's un can be understood. And it could all be inspired by God so that for times to come, like even today, um, you could see different things and compare them and know how to know concerning the doctrine, the thing Jesus tells us to do, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority so that you can discern the two. And I think you have to apply that with uh, things you hear in the pulpits, things you hear just in daily life, things you hear in your own head and things you read in the Bible, you have to know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or not. So having said all that, believe it however you it, however it, you believe it. Um, but it's saying that the Lord is speaking with Moses now. Verse 2, speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I'm the Lord. So um, Aaron, just in case you don't know, is the brother of Moses. Moses is the same Ten Commandments, Moses. And Aaron is the head of the religious arm of the congregation that's been rescued from slavery in Africa and on the move to what we now call Palestine slash Israel slash the Holy Land, that same area of the world. They haven't reached there yet, but they're on their way. And so now they um, are given a command to separate themselves from those holy things, the different things considered sacred. Verse three, say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things, which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon them, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I'm the Lord. So it keeps using the tagline. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. At the end of these. Um, at the end of some of these statements and I think that's for emphasis that the people who are hearing it, particularly the congregation back then, are to accept it as the Lord saying it and to just let that be a period at the end of it. But like I said, the New Testament says otherwise. Jesus even says because um, what I read from before from John chapter 1 wasn't Jesus speaking either. This is not red letter in Leviticus and what I read from John chapter 1 isn't red letter either but Jesus, when a confronted by the religious leaders at that time let them know similarly they haven't heard God's voice or seen his form so make sense of it however you can as a Christian I again lean into what Jesus says as what I consider the truth and what I consider the messages sent by God for us to hear and to know as the Messiah as Christ who Christianity is named after. Um, So now they're being told to make sure that they separate themselves from the holy, uh, that if they're unclean, they separate themselves from the holy things. And we went over in the past few chapters, the different things that can make you unclean. And there's lots of them. Verse four, whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, who is a leper or has a discharge, shall not eat the holy offerings until he's clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has had an emission of semen. So uh, those are some of the things that make you unclean. The leper that it's referring to isn't just, uh, leprosy, but it's, it's, um, an umbrella term for all sorts of different skin conditions. Um, some of them contagious, some of them not. And, um, the discharge part that's, uh, there can be many different types of discharges and, um. One of them is the, what the verse there just ended with was the emission of semen. That's when you ejaculate, when a male ejaculates, that's makes considered to make you, uh, also something else that can make you unclean and, uh, touching a corpse. So if someone dies and you touch it, say like you're an EMS worker and you touch the corpse, then you made yourself unclean. And we've read previously how the different things that the priests can, um, Make them unclean for or the people the priests can are allowed to become unclean for I was like parents brother and unmarried sister um and we went into the reasons why she has to be an un- unmarried and a virgin for you to go near her if she's un if she's uh, if her corpse if she's died um to touch her corpse, presumably to touch them say goodbye or to um pall bear them to lower them into the earth or you know bury them. You can make yourself; they can make themselves the priests unclean for a certain people. The high priest can't make himself unclean, and I did say himself because uh, the regulations require it be a male. Um, can make himself can't even make himself unclean even if his parents die. So we went over those different readings already, but in the previous chapters. But here we're seeing the different things that the descendants of Aaron. That's who the who are called to be the priests. No one else um, in the congregation has that um, calling or, you know, the approval to be one of the priests at this point in the narrative. Um, So if they do touch one of those things, like a corpse or a, a man who's had an emission of semen, which how would you even know that unless you're the man helping him, unless you're helping him have that emission, you know, like a circle jerk or some sort of other sexual interaction with him or unless he tells you how are you going to know if the man next to you had an emission of semen you i guess it's a, a an honor system where if he if he is if he's done that he willingly separates himself as unclean from you instead of just trying to pretend like he didn't do it and Pass as being clean still and then you touch him and you don't know that he's pretending to be clean and he's actually unclean how would you even know that but if he I suppose if he let you know hey I just gotten got one off just now then you know he's unclean and you aren't allowed to touch him it seems really highly unlikely to me that people do that but people do do that if you know in private conversations when they think they're private they say all kinds of things so it's possible But so if you know that a man has had that emission, say you saw him do it, you heard him doing it, he told you about it, um, then you know he's unclean. You aren't allowed to touch him or corpse. Otherwise, you also become unclean. And that's specifically for the priest, the Aaron's descendants. Verse five, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be. So the creeping things are the different creatures that you aren't allowed to touch um, because they're considered unclean. And by touching them, you become unclean. Um, And then it says in any whatever uncleanness that could be the um, monthly uncleanness that's attributed to a woman when she's on her period. It can be the uncleanness of the dead bodies like we talked about. It can be uncleanness of uh, after childbirth of you and you touched uh, the woman who just gave birth. Also considered unclean. The woman who gave birth and the person who touches her, so um, there are all sorts of careers in medicine and in healthcare careers that would make people must be unclean. I can't see how. Um, well, these are specifically for the priests, but if you even if you aren't a priest, those things are still considered things that make you unclean, and you have to bathe in most cases, wash yourself, and be unclean until evening. You know, basically until the next day. Um, But that's not how they all work out. Some of them you have to make offerings for, for your uncleanness to make atonement for it. Um, Verse six, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. So what we're just talking about, if you are made unclean by touching those things or interacting with those things um, for the priest, they have to remain unclean. They have to wash their body in water And be unclean until evening, meaning that's when the next day starts. So the uncleanness is left in the behind, left behind, excuse me, verse seven. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And when afterward, he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. So now you see it there It's in, you know, plain English translation that when people are offering those different things and it says burned in the fire, that doesn't mean it's going to be burnt to crisp. It's not burnt till it's ashes. Not all of them. A, a memorial portion, excuse me, is burned and offered to the Lord, quote unquote. The rest is often eaten. It's what they're eating. It's a barbecue and they aren't allowed to eat their part of the barbecue until they're clean. So they have to wash and then they can be clean and eat their food. Like it says, it is his food. Verse uh, eight, whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I'm the Lord. So we read about that being something considered unclean. If you come across an animal that's died on its own or was attacked by some other animal and died, you aren't allowed to eat that either. It's considered unclean. You aren't even allowed to touch the corpses. That makes you unclean also. And we already read about how to get clean, you know, washing and be unclean until evening. Verse 9. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby if they profane it. I, the Lord, sanctify them. So it's required of the priests to follow those, this ordinance as it's called, And that um, if they don't, they might die from not doing it and um, bear sin for it also. And I mean, in a non-religious sense, it does make sense if you're handling any raw meats um, that you should wash. And if you get it all over your body, since they're talking about slaughtering whole animals, big goats, big giant bulls and cows, Handling uh, poultry and slaughtering them, so and then sprinkling it all over the altar in some cases and stuff. You're interacting with a whole lot of uh, blood and fluids that can carry disease. So in that sense, it makes sense that you should make sure you wash yourself and uh, before you even eat, before you uh, uh, to be clean again. But it's talking about religious cleanness and so but it makes sense uh elite, in a practical sense that that's what you should do wash and um be clean um but so it's back to the religious sense they're being it's being told they're being told to make sure they stick to it, otherwise they're gonna bear sin for not doing, and they may die from it. Verse ten, no outsider shall eat the holy offerings, one who dwells with the priest or hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. So the holy stuff, the holy offerings that are specifically for the priests, not for the people to take part in and not for the, to just be burnt to a crisp. The things that are considered their holy food, the any no one else is allowed to even take part in and eat it, not their higher servants and not um, anyone that's you know traveling along with the priest. And um, let me see, verse 11. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. So that's the kind of confusing ordinance there. How do you buy people? You buy people because it's called slavery. So it's confusing because why in the world would the Lord God Almighty go through all those plagues to deliver, uh, go through all those Efforts to deliver the people from slavery in Egypt in Africa, where they were enslaved at least part of the four hundred plus years they were there, go through all those motions and demanding set my people free, um, delivering them from slavery, and um, only to turn around and tell them you can own people and then lay out different ways of how to own people and buy and buy people. It it doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent, and that doesn't seem like something. That would be from the Lord God Almighty if you believe that God is not a respecter of persons and that we're all equal in God's eyes. If that's the case, then why would the Lord be codifying how um, the buying and selling of people? Um, Yet yeah, it's right there. So again, believe what you want. It's we're just reading what it says. But at least in this case, the slave and one who's born in his house may eat his food. So the priest is allowed to share their holy offerings, their holy food with their slaves and with their um, offspring. If the offspring is born in his house, Um, I'm not sure why that makes a difference, except for that maybe the priest has side pieces and offspring that aren't born in their house, you know, from other places that don't live there with them that weren't born there with them so they're not allowed to take part in it. what we'd call illegitimate children verse 12 if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider she may not eat of the holy offerings so it even limits the children uh, or there's a limitation put on um, specifically the daughter it doesn't say if the son's married or if the son is single or not it says the daughter if she is married and it says to an outsider so it could mean um a non-Hebrew person or I don't know but it says if she's married to an outsider so if she is married to a Hebrew person then maybe she is permitted to eat it um, not sure maybe to get into that but if she's married to someone who's not of the uh, congregation of the Hebrews or I guess the people who travel with them then she's because um, the people who travel with them are considered sojourners with them so a part of the congregation but if she marries one of someone outside, then uh, she's not allowed to um, eat the holy offerings. Verse 13, but if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. So more regulations around females specifically, much like the abortion bill stuff going on now in the United States. Where there's uh, controls that uh, seem to be centered around a woman's reproductive system, and we went over this before that in the uh, what it what it's referring to in the Old Testament. Like even here, it's because women, females, are considered property. Um, whether it's by her father until she's married off, then it's by her husband. And now you see here if she's widowed or divorced. And specifically has no children, has no child, then and she returns to her father's house, then she may also eat of the holy offerings. Why there's that distinction? I am not sure, but there's the distinction laid out there for a remarried woman or um, divorced or widowed woman if she returns to live with her dad after any of those events, um as long as she doesn't have any children verse 14 and i guess that would go to the with no children thing must go to the property rights stuff again because those children would be it there would be questions as to who the child belongs to i guess um and the age of the child and you know all of that stuff as if he he or she and the sex of the child and all of that stuff probably comes into play it's not really explained here but i guess that would be my guess as to why it would make a difference Verse 14, and if a woman eats the holy offerings unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering. Oh, I've read that wrong. Sorry, let's go back. Verse 14, and if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. So think of um, an instance of that in the Bible when um, David, that's the David and Goliath, David, King David was on the run, he ate of the holy offerings the showbread, uh that um that the pre only the priest could eat and shared it with the people who were on the run with him. I don't recall seeing anything about him restoring it, um at that time, but the priest who shared it with them ended up paying the price, um, by his family getting killed off by the people who were pursuing David. And and at the time I don't remember the Lord uh, calling out crying out reacting to it at all except for maybe the priest having to pay for it by the family members of his that died because he shared the holy things with david um and god willing we'll get to that point in the old testament end of that story we're not that far from it just a few books away from it but um uh, that's the only example that comes to mind to my mind of when they do that when the holy offerings were shared with, um, someone who wasn't a priest. Only, like I said, I don't remember David adding a fifth to it at all. That would be like interest on the payment, the loan, um, that was given. So if that does happen and it says unintentionally, David did it fully intentionally. But if you, I, it's uh, here, it's talking about if you unintentionally eat, um, part of the holy offerings. So. I'm not sure how that would happen since they're separated from them, but I guess anything could happen. So when it does happen, the person who unintentionally ate what was dedicated to or specifically for the priest, once they realize that they have to make restitution for it by paying it back, plus a fifth. Um, And how you pay back a fifth of a goat, I don't know. A fifth of a cow, I don't know. But it says add one fifth to it. It sounds almost like money. That it's what it's talking about. That you have to restore it back um, with coins. And when you do add a fifth to it. Verse 15. They shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel. Which they offer to the Lord. So um, it's emphasizing that you can't profane those holy offerings. That they're um, to the Lord. Um And so that's what sort of sanctifies them and separates them from the rest of the other offerings that people may make. Verse 16, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings, for I the Lord sanctify them. So saying either you're going to revere those holy offerings and treat them as such, as sacred and holy and to be uh, not just be touched by just anyone or eaten by just anyone, and if you don't, then you're gonna bear bear the guilt for it, and it's called a trespass for trespassing, um, and basically um, uh, taking part in what's not meant for you. So maybe again, maybe that's where the David story, um, uh, where the why the priest bore the guilt for that, for sharing that showbread with David and his um, his crew. The priest ends up paying for it with, um, and I think it was Saul, but it might have been David's son because he was on the run from, from both of them at one time or another. But um, So maybe that is what happened with the in that story and why that priest ended up, Abiathar, I think was his name. Jesus reflects on that narrative also in the New Testament. Um, so maybe that's why the priest ended up paying such a high price for helping David since Uh, Even though that's not why the people who were pursuing David did it, but maybe in God's grand scheme of things, big picture of things, maybe that's why the um, priest paid for it. Because the holy things were shared with an outsider or with uh, someone that wasn't a priest. Verse 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so we already went over that about the Lord speaking to people stuff. Um, verse 18 speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offered to the Lord as a burnt offering. So now it's gone on to what uh, things that apply to the congregation and the offerings they make. Um, to the Lord and, and um, for the any vows or free will offerings that they may feel like making. These apply to them. Verse 19 You shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats So specifically the male has it has to be a male so more patriarchy where the male is exalted over the female Does that seem like something God Almighty who created both male and female would do? Whatever the case may be, that's what it's calling for, uh, that the ma- it has to be a male and it has to be sort of physically perfect, uh, just like we were reading in the last couple of chapters how if if a person is in the priesthood and making the offerings to the Lord, they also do have to be physically without a blemish. And that means perfect vision, perfect limbs, no broken legs, no broken hands, no broken feet, no blindness in the eye, no eye. Uh, injuries, no, um, no, no defects like that at all are required of the person making the offering to the Lord, the priest making it. So now you see the, um, even the animal that's being offered, the cattle has to be without blemish. And if even whether it's a cow or a goat, verse 20, whatever has a defect, you shall not offer for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. So if one of the animals that, um, you want to offer has a a quote unquote defect like it, and it went over those and we went over those in the previous readings like a limb too short or um, a, a skin condition even eczema um, at least with the people those are considered blemishes and imperfections um, so if the animal you're offering has any of those sort of imperfections they shall not be offered either they're barred from being made a sacrifice because they're not acceptable verse 21 and whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the lord to fulfill his vow or free will offering from the cattle or the sheep it must be perfect to be accepted there shall be no defect in it so again with the defects no physical defects can be for the free will offering or the peace offering i'm guessing for the trespass offering or the sin offering Generally speaking, they have to be males without blemish, um, meaning physically perfect. Um, verse 22, those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. So the Lord apparently doesn't want anything handicapped or disabled or deformed at all, um, whether it be the animal offerings or the priests making the offerings. Those things are not uh, acceptable uh, to the quote-unquote Lord to, um, to be sacrificed, or in the case of people, to be the one making the offerings of the sacrifices. And just so um, um, we can see, just out of curiosity, what the word Lord is being translated from in this instance, it's from Jehovah again. So Lord here is being translated from the word Jehovah. Just so you understand that Lord is translated from many different words throughout the Old Testament in particular, but in the Bible altogether. But Jesus doesn't use any of those names when approaching uh when I'm sorry, when I'm uh, referring to God. In the translations for God in the New Testament, um, which I believe is in the Greek, whereas the Old Testament was from the Hebrew. Um, either way, the previous word is translated from is Elohim, which is the word used for God here in the Old Testament also. And I didn't see, and I haven't looked at every single word. Um, I mean, um, so it's possible there. But I haven't seen in the New Testament where the word Lord, when Jesus uses it, is translated from the word Jehovah. Um just so a uh, side note. Verse twenty three either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. So animals with those blemishes or those um defects is perfectly fine to offer as a free will offering, something that you don't actually owe. You know, owe for your sins or owe to make up for your um trespass or whatever those have to be perfect and i guess in that sense it's because it has to be something you value most it's not going to be something that oh well i didn't really want that one anyway because it has that skin condition or i really didn't want that one anyway because it's bowlegged or one leg is too long or it's missing an eye or whatever the case may be so i won't really miss that one so much but instead it has to be one that's without blemish one that would be one of your prime cuts That that's what has to be um offered um, but if it's not doesn't if it's not physically perfect, then it's perfectly fine offered as a free will offering, but not as some of those other offerings. Verse twenty four: You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed, or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. So knowing that the priests eat these offerings, that it's not just completely burnt to a crisp, it seems to me this could be the priests. Menu or recipe in some in some way, letting the people know we don't want to bruise them, beat up diseased creatures to eat that we want the physically perfect ones that you would keep otherwise. The free will offerings that's fine, and now that I think about it, I'm guessing the free will offerings are probably the offerings that do get um most often burnt to a crisp. I mean, I don't remember the different regulations specifically. But that would be my guess because it sounds like the free will offering is the one of the the not so perfect animals that people may offer that they may have just gotten rid of anyway or may have just let go of anyway so it's like okay well those are free will offerings they can go ahead and get burnt to a crisp because they weren't all that perfect anyway but the perfect ones those are it seems like the ones that end up as barbecue meat for the priest to eat let's see Verse twenty-five: Not from a foreigner's hand shall you offer, excuse me. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them, and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. So, if you, if the priest ends up getting an offering from a foreigner, and one of the instances that comes to mind of that happening would be um I think it was Naaman the Syrian in the Old Testament who um is looking for healing for his leprosy his skin disease he goes to either Elijah or Elisha I can't remember which one um and is looking for the healing and he has all those animals uh, or he's trying to make he has all those animals to sort of pay for the healing that he's seeking um So if they had received that offering from him, and I don't think he did. Instead, his servant, I think his name was Jihazi, if I'm pronouncing that right, um, gets a little greedy and goes ahead. And after he's dismissed, Jihazi goes and follows him and gets um, some money, a payment for himself and sort of stashes it away. And then it ends up being a a not so good turnout for him. Um, But the point being When the people came there, when the the emperor, when the guy Naaman went there seeking the healing, he had a bunch of animals with him as sort of payment for it. So if the um, prophet in that case had received it, or if he were able to get the healing from the priests, then he might have used that as payment for their um, efforts. And if he had, they wouldn't have been able to offer it um, legitimately because like we just read, anything from a foreigner is um, not considered acceptable either because the animals also carry the sin of the people who own them. And I guess that goes to why the animals get sacrificed, like when the goats get possessed by the spirits and then ends up being the scapegoat and all of that. Verse 26 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So again, more messages from Moses from the Lord. 27 when a bull or a sheep or a goat is born it shall be 7 days with its mother and from the 8th day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord so when there's a newborn bull or sheep or goat it um has a just over a week a week um to um live with its parent live with its mama and then after that it's it's um it's up for grabs as far as being an offering an acceptable offering um, made by fire to the Lord. And again, made by fire doesn't mean it's going to be burnt to a crisp. It means it's going to be barbecued. Verse 28, whether it is a cow or ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. Well, that's a kind word that uh, two generations don't have to die off on the same day for a human's, uh Two generations of animals don't have to die off the same day for human sins and shortcomings. At least there's that. Um, But if you wait that week on the eighth day, then it's perfectly fine to offer the child also. If I'm reading that right from verse 27. Verse 29. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. Excuse me. So the thanksgiving sacrifice. Um, basically saying thank you Lord thank you for delivering, helping me, providing for me, saving me, whatever the case may be whatever reason you're giving thanks to the Lord when you make that offering it should be of your own free will not because you feel burdened by a dogma that that's what you have to offer verse 30 on the same day it shall be eaten you shall leave none of it until morning I'm the Lord so the free will offering um, sorry the thanksgiving offering has to be a free will offering and when it is offered it has to be eaten up that same day it can't be uh used as leftover eats the next day um and then, and that's different from some other offerings some other offerings you can eat up until the third day then it has to be burned or otherwise it's not accepted um verse 31 therefore you should keep my commandments and perform them i am the lord so, um, the tagline, I'm the Lord to let the priests know, um, uh, this is, um, what we're saying is from the Lord and what you have to make sure you abide by. Verse 32, you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. So, um, uh, reiterating that the Lord has to be considered holy, uh, and the name of the Lord holy and that the, um that um it's the lord who makes them clean in the first place who sanctifies them for um in the first place whether it's the priest or the congregation or the high priest verse 33 who brought you out of the land of egypt to be your god i am the lord so um that we were just talking about that also remember these are the same people who were delivered from slavery and now we have a distinction uh, um for them of how they can share or not share their eats with um the people who they bought, slaves, in other words. And one last thing about this verse, uh, I'm using the blueletterbible.org website for the readings. And if you use their tools, you can see the word God there is the same word Elohim. Like I mentioned, um, it's translated to in the New Testament when Jesus uses it. But the word Lord here is Jehovah. And I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't, um, uh, I mean, the word translated as Lord here is from the word Jehovah um, here in the Old Testament again and again. And I don't recall, I'm trying to think of a verse in the New Testament where Jesus uses the word Lord. Let me think. Um i can't think of one right off the top of my head but i was trying to think of that because you we can look in the new testament and see where the word lord is mentioned there and see if it's translated also from the word jehovah let me think of a verse um um you shall love the lord your god okay so the different the golden rule as it's called let me think that's um Mark 12, 29 through 31, if I recall. So let me just look that up real quick and see what the word Lord is translated from in the New Testament. Let's see. Um, Okay, so we have Mark um, chapter 12, verse 29. And we use the tools there and see what the word Lord is translated from when Jesus uses it and I don't know so it may be Jehovah it's not Jehovah it's Kyrios at least that's how it looks like it's spelled k-y-r-i-o-s so and I'm now that I see it that is what is translated from again and again in the New Testament when Jesus uses it um, and Jesus was Hebrew but the language I believe they uh, that at least historians believe Jesus spoke at the time was not Hebrew, it was Aramaic. Because remember the people were enslaved and captured. Uh, They were enslaved in Egypt, but then once they made it to the Holy Land, the Promised Land, um, according to their own narrative that we read here in the Old Testament, they weren't faithful to the quote unquote Lord. So they were vomited out of the land and taken as captives to other lands. And I'm guessing that's where the Aramaic comes in because those are the languages spoken by the people who captured them. And then, um, so maybe, and then, like I say, the new Testament is in Greek, but either way, the name would still be the same. I would think, and it's not Jehovah is not the word used in the new Testament by Jesus anyway. Um, so just keep that in mind as you read through the Bible that, um, There's all these different, um, but specific differences in um, the word Lord and who the people are actually calling Lord and worshiping at the time. That was the last verse of this uh, chapter. So that's the end of this reading. I, as always, thank you for checking it out with me and hope it's a blessing for you. You can hear past readings on this platform, on Anchor, Spotify, now Apple and Google, their podcasts. Um, or if you're an adult, you can go to my website. It's free, hungtgirl.com, and you can click on the links there and hear the past readings of the Naked Truth with the Spirit and Soul pages specifically, but the Body and Mind and Spirit and Soul pages will help get you to help you to know more if you're curious about me, your humble messenger. You can click on the photos, the click the pictures. They're actually free videos also. And you can get a subscription, you can make a donation or just enjoy the free content. All of the above help me. So I appreciate that. And thank you for that. And hope you'll join me again. We do these Old Testament readings on Mondays and Wednesdays to point to why I as a Christian focus on what it is Jesus has to say as my portion, our portion, our Christian flock portion, of what the Bible has for us. Because remember, it's a tenth, a tithe of what the entire Bible has. Only six books of the 60 plus books have any quotes attributed to Jesus. So that's what we focus on on our Saturday night readings. Um, Stay safe. God bless you. And thanks again for reading along with me. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.